good to be with you uh, again and uh, have the opportunity to worship with you. I was here once in the summer, and I hope you had a, a good summer, one that doesn't seem to know how to end. And uh, we certainly enjoyed it. We had our Thanksgiving dinner yesterday with my kids out here, and uh, yeah, we sat outside, obviously, uh, kind of a strange uh, thing to do, it seems to me, on Thanksgiving. But here we are. There's uh, something to be thankful for in that sense. Today's message was part of a summer series that we did at Hope Community uh, on the Psalms. And the series was called Honest Prayers. And uh, I chose to present to you uh, my reflections on Psalm 139. So let's start with uh, reading it and taking a a look at, at God's word here. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light, the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where do I count them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. The psalmist praises God for the amazing creation that we are. He says, you knit me together, you watch me even in the womb. One of the things we ought to be thankful for is the gift of our bodies when I read this psalm. But to be honest, we tend to see and experience our flaws, our imperfections, more than we feel thankful, I think. We're too short, too tall, too heavy, too weak, too whatever. And often we really don't appreciate our bodies and our health until we get unhealthy. 
I never really appreciated, for example, my balance. I was always a pretty good athlete and well-balanced. Until this past year, I've been struggling with vertigo. Suddenly, balance is something. You say, wow, that's, that's amazing to be balanced because I'm unbalanced. It's a bit of a pity that maybe I hadn't appreciated my balance prior to that. We need to be reminded of the gift of our bodies and that we are image bearers of God. As Liz mentioned, maybe going around the table and everybody saying something thankful, maybe somebody ought to say, I'm thankful for this body. Right? Woven together by God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. This is a psalm of thanksgiving in many ways. God's creative goodness is celebrated especially in verses 1 through 18. In this psalm, we, we celebrate the sacredness of life uh, that is even uh, celebrated in the womb. And the singer of Psalm 139 acknowledges all of life is in God's hands. His eyes even beheld our unformed being. There can be a tendency, I think, in Christianity to separate the body from the spiritual. And from the spiritual life, it, we get the sense that uh, it seems like the spiritual life is an endless, futile attempt to overcome the fact that we have bodies and that they have urges and impulses and everything else. And then the life can feel like this constant fight of the spiritual versus the physical. And that's not the picture God paints here. We, we need to choose to live out God's call on our whole lives, including our bodies, body and spirit. Worship and prayer and service, practices that put our body uh, and our spirit on the same page. And we need to be reminded of that, I think, quite regularly, because I tend to be one who neglects the joy of just this moment and this body and this life. And I tend to think heavenly thoughts at the expense of missing out this moment. This God who wonderfully creates, he knows us. And he is with us always. And you say, well, isn't that a comforting thought? And I say, yeah, yeah. Is it a discomforting thought? I was reflecting on that, and to some degree, yes. Yes, there's some discomfort in that. The psalmist basically says of God, he said, God says to each of us, I know where you live. I know where you are all the time. There's no place to hide. And normally, when someone might say to me, hey, I know where you live, that's not a threat, but it can be or at least you can feel like one, there is no place to hide. And this God searches me inside and outside. The line that gets me is, I am hemmed in. Everyone comfortable with that line? I'm hemmed in. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Some of us struggle with the fear of being deeply known, even by God or maybe even especially by God. Some of us go to great lengths not to be fully known, even by ourselves. Where, the psalmist says, can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because sometimes I want to. One writer said, being so close to God is as burdensome as it is beautiful. I was thinking of Jonah trying to escape God's will uh, for him to go and, and express God's love to Jonah's enemies. Uh, so he runs, trying to hide from God, uh, a God who cares about his enemies, and that was something he, Jonah just couldn't accept. And of course, it doesn't go well, and he can't hide. 
I was thinking of some scriptures, John 1, 49, where we read uh, you know, when Jesus was calling his disciples and he comes to Nathanael and says, uh, how, how do you know me, Nathaniel asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you before you even, you, you know, you, you were, even, I, I was aware of you even before you knew of me. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, this God who knows. 1 Corinthians 6, we read, do you not know and there's this knowing thing, that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This idea of knowing is profoundly expressive of a God who is oh so close. He knows me. He cares about me. He forms me. He seeks me out. He knows my heart. He knows my soul. He knows all the days I have, and he promises me eternity. The very personal psalm, the psalmist refers to himself 13 times, to himself. Search me, know me, my thoughts, my path. He knows, the Hebrew word is yada. Seven times, a rich word in the Hebrew Bible covering uh, a whole range of meaning from simple recognition to the intimacy of sexual relationship. That's why in Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife, Adam yada, his wife. <laughs> in that physical, intimate sense. And God says to his people in Ezekiel 6, uh, verse 13, where we read, And they will know that I am the Lord. How? How will they know I am the Lord? Whether, when their people lie slain among the idols around their, uh, around their altars, every high hill... And on all the mountaintops, under every spreading tree and every leafy oak, places where they offered fragrant incense to all their idols. And somehow then the knowing comes out of the brokenness. And there's that aspect as well here. This word occurs throughout the Psalms, this word of knowing. Knowing is critical to deep relationships. That's what we're supposed to hear here. My, my wife, Candy, knows me. Yeah, we had four kids, so we knew each other that way. But what I mean is she knows my story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and she loves me anyways. And I think I feel that love deeper because she knows all about me, and then I'm not hiding things, because if I'm hiding things, I'd be afraid she wouldn't love me if she knew those things. And so this idea of knowing is that a deep love comes out of true knowing. More profound that way. When we try to hide from ourselves, from others, from God, we limit love. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ came to us. Because that's love. That's love. The psalmist says, you discern my thoughts. You know my every thought, my every act. And you still seek me out. You still come after me, knowing everything about me. You don't say, well, you can't come to the table. I know about you. No, you better come to the table. I know about you. I can't escape you. What a wonderful thing it is. And yet, the psalmist says, how weighty, are, Lord, are your thoughts to me. How vast the thumb of them. God comes to us with his vast thoughts. And, and we say, well, what do we do with that? You know, we, we come to one part in the psalm here then, at verse 19 then, and we read, I can read it to you just quickly again here. 
But, you know, if only, God, you would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty, how I hate those who hate you. I have nothing but hatred for them. And you go, wow, you know, we're doing this, you know, wonderfully made and all this beautiful stuff. And then we come to this, I hate these. And we go, what do we do with that? I was thinking about that. Because, you know, part of me, as a pastor, some say, you know what, I don't love that part of the psalm. Maybe I'm just going to skip it. You know, I'll cut that part out. I'll do a little spiritual editing here. And you can't do that. It's there. So, so what do we do with that? What, what might it be like to be so convinced that an assault on one's own identity is a, and thoughts is an assault on God somehow? I, I, I think the psalmist here, I'm trying to think through how he thinks here, is right in trying to align his thoughts and beliefs with God's. We need convictions based on God's will, not just our human opinions or the times we happen to live in. And it's good to be passionate about righteousness. So I think that's something. Those unrighteous beliefs, hear me well, those unrighteous beliefs are sometimes things we may hate. I didn't say we hate the people, but I did say we could hate certain beliefs. But remember, and this is about genre again, this is, these are psalms, these are poems. And the psalmist is expressing his heart to God. It's interesting to me, you know, that he, he goes to this, oh, I hate hearing my enemies, and, you know, and he's getting on a bit of a righteous rant here. And, and in some ways that's okay, but, you know, he's still this human writing this psalm here. And, and you know, he, he, he suddenly, though, you know, so we went from this shift, you know, to this hate thing. And then we come to this part here where he suddenly goes to search me. Hmm. Search me, Lord, for anything that's not good. And I see the psalmist kind of observing the not good around him and getting all angered about it. And I think there's something right about that. But then he says, Gene, what about me? What about me? I think too many of us assume our thoughts must be aligned with God's. Right? The way I think, it's, oh yeah, I've, I've got it all going on. I've figured God out fairly well here. Isaiah 55. I love how he, Isaiah writes about it here. He says, my thoughts, and this is God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. And then the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And, and I think we too must regularly ask God to search us out and to not assume we have it all figured out. Lord, verse 1, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Then we have, well, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? And notice, he doesn't flee to God. God comes after him. And it seems frightful and, and yet somehow reassuring that this God seeks him out. I'm hemmed in by God. This, is, this might be, I, I was going to say something about this earlier, but this might be, uh, may communicate both warning and protection. We are hemmed in by this God for our own good. God's good thoughts are there to guide us and to keep us in the way of life, to keep us from thinking too highly about our amazing thoughts, to protect us from sin and our limitations, 
including our intellectual ones. No pretending just as I am. Fully known, wonderfully made, but made. Humans prone to wander, and we all feel it. Prone to flee. Prone to think, I know better than God and others. And that God hems me in in his ways for healthy living. And it, somehow it, it, it begins and includes me being searched out. Yeah, the psalm begins with understanding that God has searched us, and it ends with a plea for God to search us again. It bookends this psalm. To find if there's any offensive way in us, to make us deeply aware. And then I want to say thank you, Lord, for having me in. Because I'm still tend to want to run in places I shouldn't run. And act like I know more than I actually know. I just want to ask you, are you willing to be searched that way? Are you willing to have that God who hems you in search you and see if there's any wicked way in you? Because things might turn up that you'd rather not have uncovered. The psalmist starts with high praise for the Creator, and rightly so. Then he goes to that, I hate those who will go against God. I think, again, I think that's right that we hate evil. Without hating people. But then he goes immediately inward to his heart. Yeah, our heart should break with the evil around us. Children killed in wars, refugees fleeing, families falling apart, relationally cancer plaguing a life, abuse, ugliness in the world around us, in us, even in churches. So many injustices, so many horrors in the world around us. And the psalmist calls on God to remove all evil. And then he says, but start with me. Start with me. Otherwise, I have no business fighting evil in this world. So that I may have deeper communion with you, Lord so that maybe I might understand your ways. When I was a kid, our church announced communion a week ahead. Maybe you guys still do that. You know, hope we, you know, we'd say it's coming, but we don't do this formal thing where we say, we're announcing it so you can spend a week searching yourself out. It's a good thing to do again. And during that week, you prepare your heart to come to the table. I'm not sure how many people actually ever did it. It's a good idea, really. Look at Hebrews 4 with me. Maybe this is what needs to happen. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And if that doesn't cause a little knee shaking going on, then you're not hearing it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, oh, here comes God's plan. Therefore, we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So he's the one we follow. Let us then approach God's throne. How? Shaking and trembling, maybe a little of that, but with confidence too. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
This is what it is to be known and to be searched. One writer describes this sort of being known by God as being laid bare and stripped of facades. In the deep presence of God, we are relieved of all necessity to pretend and to play games because our sins and limitations have been dealt with at the cross. And our value and our true identity is found in this God who creates us and loves us. We are his children. That's who we are. I'm sure many of you have gone to the doctor for a physical. It's a good idea if you haven't had a physical for a while, maybe it's time. We invite God to search us as well. It's not a, I'm not going to call it a physical, I'll call it a spiritual. Without trying to do that dichotomy of physical and spiritual. No offensive ways, no anxious thoughts. Let's do this spiritual thing. I have become increasingly aware as I get older of the enormous amount of activity inside of me that I neither understand nor fully control. Impressions, urges, motives, judgments. You kind of see how Jeremiah sees here in Jeremiah 17 where it says the heart, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond, beyond cure. Who can understand it? I've certainly had my times of looking in the mirror and saying, I don't get you. I don't get you. I think we need periodic spirituals along with periodic physicals. And, and, and here's the thing, though. You cannot be your own examiner. Uh, this is God's work, and he also works through others. I read this quote, the doctor who treats himself has a fool for a patient. And you who are going to now just fix yourself has a fool for a patient. I read this quote from Dorotheos of Gaza, who worked with monks. And I said, I know of no falling away of a monk which did not come from his reliance on his own sentiments. Nothing is more pitiful, nothing more disastrous than to be one's own spiritual director. Sometimes wonder, you know, how many of us have somebody in our lives where we have all the nonsense of our lives laid bare on the table. First Timothy 4, out of the New Living Translation, we read, Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and, those of the, and the salvation of those who hear you. In this openness for God to search you, invite others into the process. That's why we are the body of Christ together. Some of you might be thinking, what might a periodic spiritual look like? And I'm just going to throw this out with you. If, if I was the doctor or the spiritual counselor alongside of you, I'd start with asking some questions, questions I've asked myself. I'm, I'm going to give you some, maybe pick one or two to ponder on. Maybe even prior to communion, maybe just reflect on this a little bit. I'd ask this, does my patient still truly believe that Jesus is his or her savior and does the joy of that, first, that hour I first believe still exist? Does believing in Jesus still kind of pump you up? When was the last time you returned to the cross and reaffirmed your decision to follow Jesus? 
I find it important for myself to re-enlist each morning so that my appreciation for God is as fresh as the new day. Are there any events in your past plaguing you? Resentments, unresolved conflicts, regrets, desires that are unhealthy, behaviors that are unhealthy. How's your willingness to forgive others going? How about your willingness to repent? How important is it for you to be right? To be acknowledged? How good are you at taking criticism? Do you love your spouse more than you did a year ago? How about your kids? Are you a good friend? When we submit to God's search of spirituals, we do this not merely for the sake of self-improvement and self-interest. We do not do this to earn God's love. Please hear that. But to have our lives centered more and more on Christ so we can serve others in his name. We're going to have communion together. Maybe one of those questions jumped out at you. Maybe reflect on that while communion is being passed out. Maybe even think about it in the week to come. But allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate you and to search you deeper and deeper and deeper. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.